The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, some of you right now are wondering, is he going to preach the same length sermon that he always does? Uh, And I I assure you I'm not. Uh, I'd I'd like to invite you to open to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and and we'll be here for, if you'll give me about 10, maybe 15 minutes tops, um, I want to preach a very brief sermon, but I think God has a word for us here. I know he does, uh, because this is written, the words of Jesus, to the church at Ephesus, but intended to be also for the church of all times. And so... uh, the, the other day, uh, as you're turning to Revelation chapter 2, the other day, Lana and I were out somewhere shopping or something, and, and uh, there was a man there who was a, a business owner, and he looked at my wife and he said, is this your boyfriend? To which my wife said, no, he's my husband. Uh, we, we've been married for 20 years now. And he said, well, you all were being so sweet to one another, I just figured he was your boyfriend. And the assumption there is, and that's a true story, that, that the assumption there is that once you get married, uh, you stop loving one another, that you, you stop liking being around one another, you stop being sweet to one another. And the reality here in Revelation chapter 2 is that we see a church that has become the bride of Christ, yet they're told, they're, they're rebuked for having lost their first love. And so I want us to look at this together, and and I want us to be called back as a church to our first love. Look with me at Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, that's Jesus himself. Jesus holds the, the stars in his right hand. It's speaking, speaking here to his churches that Jesus holds them, keeping them secure, that he holds them, they, he owns them, he is sovereign over them. He walks among the seven golden lampstands that Jesus even today still walks in among us, that he is where we are. Scripture says that where two or three are gathered, I am there in your midst. This is not just a case, a random case here where Jesus is walking among the church at Ephesus in in Revelation 2. It is the reality here that when we gather, Jesus walks among us. He walks among us to be related to us, fellowship with us, but also he walks among us to evaluate, to judge, to, to encourage and to rebuke both. Verse two, he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and do the works you did at first If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. I want to very quickly run through this passage with us today. This is a church that is living in a very godless culture. 
It is a culture where the temple of Diana, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world was. was, She was a goddess of fertility. The the worship of Diana involved all sorts of sensuality. The, The city of Ephesus was just rampant with sensuality and sexuality. It was a city that was very polytheistic. There were multiple gods that would be espoused and worshiped. It was a city that was syncretistic, where there was a blending of all religions or even political ideas with religion, even Caesar worship and the worship of of the one true God. This was a city that was really not unlike our culture today. It was very sensual, very godless, and yet looking to some sort of a God of, of their own making. The church there in Ephesus was a church who had had great beginnings. It was there that Paul came and Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, spent two years working and laboring and preaching and teaching in the church in Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla were encountered there, some of the first believers there. As the gospel was preached the, the temple of Diana, those that were silversmiths, you read about it in Acts 19 and 20, that were making these, these little idols and trinkets to Diana, they rose up and they rioted. And they, they pulled followers along with Paul out and they beat them. And when news of this spread, and, 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 and I'm leaving out a whole lot, but when news of this spread, how God delivered them even through that, You read about it in Acts 19 and 20. The Bible tells us that revival swept through. That among those who were believers, who were witnessing this, as Paul was preaching and suffering for it, that God used even that to bring revival. If you read in Acts chapter 19 and 20, you'll read where the believers there in the church who had begun to compromise and begin to to go the way of the culture repented in, in, in great scale. They brought idols and they brought these artifacts. They brought these these, uh, elements of witchcraft that they had begun to to dabble in and be syncretistic with. And they brought those and they burned those and they turned back to God in a great movement. This was a church who had a, a great beginning Paul spent two years there. He sent Timothy there to, to minister in Ephesus. Timothy was, was one of the pastors. John, the apostle John, finished out his ministry here in Ephesus. It was off the coast of Ephesus on the island of, of Patmos where John received his vision that we are reading today. See, Ephesus was a church that had heard the gospel and heard the apostles' teaching, and they were grounded in it. They had almost slipped away. They had almost wandered away from God, but God in his faithfulness had called them back. This is F.E. was sharing this morning of how the congregation here at one time in 1832 and the years following had dwindled to 12 people. And here we are 183 years later and look at what God is doing among us. This was a church who had a great, great beginning. I want to read to you, the Bible here says, that God has certain commendations for them, that Jesus says, I have this, you're doing well. They were steady. In verses two and three, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. This is a church that wasn't lethargic. They weren't sitting back. They weren't lazy. They were actually doers of the word. They were zealous in doing what they were called to do. 
They were doctrinally solid. Verse 2, the second part of verse 2, that they could not bear with those who claimed to be apostles but who weren't. They tested all the teaching that came their way by what was given to them by the apostles, the writing of Scripture. They were doctrinally solid. They were uncompromising, even in a very syncretistic, polytheistic, sensual culture. They were uncompromising. They were enduring patiently and bearing up for his namesake, not growing weary. When you think about all these years after Paul, decades after Paul, and they are holding on to so much that Paul has poured into them. They were theologically vigilant. They were testing those who were coming and preaching. The the text here says in verse 6 that they hated the work of the Nicolaitans. And notice that Jesus says, of which I also hate. They hated what God hated. They loved what God loved. They were theologically vigilant. We desperately need more churches like this. We desperately need more churches today that, that... do the right things and believe the right things and don't compromise those right things that, that vigilantly guard against false teaching by, by word and by deed. But Jesus doesn't stop here. Jesus doesn't simply say, I have this that I can brag on you about. Instead, he goes on and he says, but I have this against you. You've Left, you've abandoned your first love. Some wonder what Jesus here is talking about in Revelation 2. Is he talking about that they had abandoned their love for God or that they had abandoned their love for one another? Well, the reality is we can answer that question with both. They had left off and abandoned love for God and it was showing up in the fact that they were no longer loving one another. So you cannot love the brothers or sisters without first loving and having been loved by God. This is what 1 John talks about in chapter four when he says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Church, it would be easy to come in here and celebrate what God has done for 183 years. And we could all share stories and we could tell this and that. And, and, and it is possible, entirely possible for us to give God glory and to thank him. It is entirely possible for us to, to believe the right things and to do the right things and to guard those right things without compromising. But it is also possible for us as a church as well as as individual Christians to be going through those motions without really having love for God. On this Sunday, when we celebrate Heritage Sunday, I I don't want to call you to shrink back from believing right things and doing right things. I want you to press into those all the more. But I want you to take an evaluation of your motivation in all those things. Are you doing that because you have been loved by God and you love him? 
Are you doing those things because you love your brothers and sisters and you want to do the right thing so that they would be built up? Are you guarding the truth for love of brothers and sisters so that they would not be led astray? See, the reason God hates what the Nicolaitans taught, we don't know what exactly they were teaching, but no doubt it was something that was watering down the gospel and confusing and leading believers away. So what does God call us to do? When, when he speaks here to the church of Ephesus, he says, these things are good, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. The solution that God gives in verse four, or in verse five, and then also in verse seven, is that we would remember. We would remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, that we would repent and do the works that we did at first. We say, how, how do we do that? How do we turn and begin to love God again? Maybe you're in this place where you're doing all these things and believing all these things, but there is a coldness that is just entangling your soul. And you can't seem to move past that. You don't know why you don't love the Lord like you once did. I mean, think back to when you first came to know the Lord. Every verse you read was so packed full of meaning. And it been simple to other people, but for you, it was the words of life, and you celebrated it. In the beginning, there was nothing that would be asked of you that would have been too inconvenient or too difficult. You would gladly say, I'll do that. I'll carry chairs. I'll hold doors. I'll clean bathrooms. I'll do whatever I can do for the household of God. Think back to these times, remember and return to your works. He said, but still, how in the world am I supposed to turn back and just snap myself out of this coldness? Well, let me give you this and I'm through. You can't manufacture that on your own. It's gonna require that today you turn to the Lord and you say, God, help me. God, help me. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Lord, I I believe your word and I love your church, I think, but I'm just tangled in coldness and I just don't know that I'm motivated and moved by love anymore. You ask God to to change your heart, to, to stoke your heart again with his presence that he would, he would bring you out of that coldness, that, that his presence alone would bring warmth to your soul, that he would cause the eyes of your heart to, to open wide with the joy of knowing him. If not, he says to the church here in Ephesus, the consequence will be that he will come and he will remove their lampstand, meaning that he, they will cease to be a church. But the reward is, church, if we as individuals and we as a church guard this and say, Lord, make us love you so that we will love one another for your namesake. And he promises that those will conquer and he will allow them to eat of the tree of life, meaning that we will enter into eternity with him. There's an old Keith Green song, and I'm not a huge Keith Green fan or anything, 
uh, Ethan offered to bring in his Afro wig and, and wear that during the response song, if you know anything about Keith Green. But the, the words of this Keith Green song are, are pretty poignant. Keith Green wrote about this very thing. And I want you to hear these words, and then I'll pray. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't know where individuals in this room are with you. And I don't know where they are spiritually. I don't know if there's coldness there or maybe they're in the warmest time of their lives with you. But God, I pray that you would, in all of us, that you would stoke the fire of our heart for you again. God, that you would wash us anew with the oil of your presence and the wine of your blood. God, that you would make us see what we have in the gift of Jesus on the cross. That we would understand and embrace it again. God, that you would lead us as a faith family to love you more than we love the things that we do. God, that you would cause our hearts to overflow with affection for one another that is rooted and grounded in our love for you. God, capture our hearts again, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to give you just an opportunity to respond and then I'll come and I'll close this out. I'll be here on the front. If, if you've grown cold and just want someone to pray with you and say, Lord, make my heart new for you. I'll be glad to help you. I'll be glad to pray with you. Maybe you don't need me. You just need to right where you are, bow and ask God to create in you a new heart, to do in you what he did in David, to move you from your callousness to a present awareness that the bones that were once being crushed under the weight of his displeasure are now free to move in his love. Whatever you need to do today, whatever he calls you to, say yes to him. Let's respond. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.